510-549-2307 or 510-763-4020. Full information on the KPFA website for Jonathan Kozel and our endangered public schools. And you are listening to 94.1 KPFA in Berkeley, 89.3 KPFB in Berkeley, 88.1 KFCF in Fresno and online at kpfa.org. The time is 3 p.m. Up next, Cover to Cover with Jennifer Stone. Happy ending, nice and tidy, it's a rule learned in school get your money every friday happy endings are the rule so divide up those in darkness from the ones who This is Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw. Today's Tuesday, August the 28th, 2012. Uh, and before I try to <laughs> make light of the right-wing Republican circus in Florida, I want to lament the lack of justice, uh, the lack of justice given to the memory of uh, Rachel Corey, that young woman who died so tragically trying to resist the Israeli invasion of a Palestinian home. I'm sure most KPFA remember, uh, most of us, we listeners to KPFA, uh, nine years ago it was that Rachel died. Uh, a bona fide martyr, I think, for the cause of the Palestinian homeland, uh, I remember her as a writer of great talent. Her work is not just promising, it was astonishing. The Hollywood um, celebrity now, Alan Rickman, famous English uh, film actor, did a play at the Royal Court Theatre, he produced it. Uh, he made use of Rachel Corey's journals. So basically a one-woman monologue. Uh, a copy of this play was sent to me by a KPFA listener, Goddess Bless Them. I searched for that play last night. I I can't find it, and I'm sure that I lent it to a young actress I know in the hope she could use it for a theater workshop she was doing, but uh, it's gone into the ether. I know it will turn up again. I, I read bits of it here on these airwaves several years ago, and I will do so again when I get my hands on it. Uh, I have this impulse to share. I'm always uh, thrusting books on friends, and then later I'm at a loss trying to find them. Uh, Rachel's journals um, are published in book form. You can find them. They're not just inspiring, they they are 
art. Dare I? Yes, dare I say so. Uh-huh. They're really, really very special. So many detailed images. I still remember all her thoughts about so much of modern living, you know, the the big questions of today as opposed to the big questions of yesterday. Rachel was much more sophisticated than I had expected. She's very subtle. Uh, we have to remember that idealists are not always naive. Uh, I expected, you know, the thoughts of a schoolgirl, I think she was 24, it's true that she had an innocent spirit, but, uh, you know, naivete is of the mind, not the spirit. The innocent spirit she, I think she would still have, even, yes, even nine years later. Uh, her tenderness comes through in her words, uh, lines about her mother and father. I still recall her lines about the way, oh, the way in which her mother so carefully replaced her earrings, you know, uh, getting ready for bed. It was a mixture of, well, a, a faint, a faint condescension, you know, <laughs> the sort of things that your parents do that endear them to you while at the same time may seem just a little precious. Anyway, she put her earrings back in that little compartment in the jewelry box. These memory gems of our lives, right? <laughs> I remember my mother buying those bloomer gym shorts she thought were so cute. I thought they were horrible. I had to buy some on my own when she wasn't looking. Anyway, <laughs> Rachel Corey had these wonderful moments of insight, uh, moments of love for all those we cherish. Uh, she wasn't doing things on principle. She actually cherished the Palestinians she was staying with. Uh, she wanted to save their home. Uh, she gives us psychological snapshots of the heart. I'm going to find that play, uh, that monologue, uh, that one-woman stage play. It needs to be put on film. I would like to see it in the high schools. They're wonderful to see the students work on that one. I'm sure that we're going to have a film, a movie of Rachel Corey's play. Uh, the rest of this week, oh, we have to confront the Republican debacle in Florida, my older son advised me to just turn it off, turn it off, look away. <laughs> He's so sensible. <laughs> I, I grow old, I grow old. The center will not hold. There is no center, boys and girls. There is never a center, political or otherwise. The center swings to the left, swings to the right, but it all depends on who is in power at the top. You know how that goes. What was extreme last year is, this year, is the new normal. Yes, I keep thinking of my parents and the psychic shock they would get if they woke up today 
and read the New York Times or listened to the TV news, I think of all the literary efforts, the tradition of, uh, what do we call that? Uh, Resistance, George Orwell's book, 1984. Big Brother on the tube. Yes, the tube is Big Brother watching us. No, no, we're watching him. Actually, Aldous Huxley's Brave New World was my favorite in college. Then, by the 80s, I I chose Margaret Atwood's book, The Handmaid's Tale, because that's the one that gives us the women, women in bondage, a repressive dystopia. Uh, yes, <laughs> you remember. Everything that Hitler did was legal in uh, The Handmaid's Tale. The new normal is that women come in color-coded clothes, right? <laughs> I was thinking, yes, the last, the last thing we want, yes, is something that is easily visible uh, uh, today. We do it in a much more subtle way. Uh, I think what Margaret Atwood did was to turn it into a kind of cartoon at the same time. You know, she gave us the the world in which the fertile women dressed in red, the workers in a kind of gray-green, the collaborators in brown, the wives in blue, that way it was easy for, for people to understand uh, what was going down. Uh, I don't know. It's so hard. I was thinking, all politicians, you know, are one-eyed cats. Some of them see with the right eye and some see with the left. But the artist usually sees with two eyes at once. They have depth vision. vision. I guess... I guess Margaret Atwood was trying to reach the people who can only see with one eye. I, I'm not sure what she was up to. I just know that, yes, if you make it legal, that's one of the secrets. Who is it? Uh, I have here a quote from Senator Robert Burr. That's who it is, right, in West Virginia. He was writing about Hitler, right, the first thing he did was padlock the birth control clinics, right. Uh, Bird says that Hitler's originality lay in his realization that effective revolutions in modern conditions are carried out with, not against, the power of the state. You know, you must seize the state. Anyway, he goes on to say, the correct order of events is first to secure access to that power, then begin your revolution. Hitler never abandoned the cloak of legality. He recognized the enormous psychological value of having the law on his side instead. Let's, let's see, what did he do? He turned the law inside out and made illegality legal. Now, I thought of this terrific quote <laughs> when I tried to figure out how we would define an ill illegitimate rape. Right. Aha. How do you make well let's see, an illegitimate rape and a legitimate rape. Oh words, words. The Orwellian double speak. Yes. <laughs> the thought police. I don't know. 
the more I the more I study the matter, the more I get uh, confused. I just don't know how we're supposed to deal with these things when they have stolen the language from us. Uh, ah, uh, ignorance is bliss, I guess, for people like Todd Aikens there. Well, his ignorance almost subdues my patience. The truth is that uh, he's going to get away with it, folks. Uh, some people will defend him. Uh, this war on women... It's going from a state of siege to a reign of terror, and I just tremble. What was it Jefferson said? Yes, I tremble for my country when I remember that God is just. I don't know. I don't think he is. I think that's why I tremble. God has nothing to do with it. I think stoning is next on the agenda these days. Uh, ah, ha, 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 ah, hypocrisy. I don't know what these things mean anymore. I listened to some of the gender gender arguments on the radio this week, and most people are fairly sensible today. You know, they they comment on Mitt Romney's good sense. You know, he's going to let his wife speak at the Republican convention. I don't know if she's done that yet. Uh, yes, man smart, woman smarter. They're giving us all women all this deference, this kind of, uh, oh, let's call it the new chivalry. I, I, I don't know. I still think we are, women are victims of the Madonna whore complex. I remember some years ago at a Republican convention, I think it was two conventions past, uh, they had a dress code for the women. Maybe it was longer ago than that. Anyway, the dress code for the Republican women uh, dictated that the women wear, quote, no dangling earrings. Now, uh, maybe you, you can work that out. <laughs> I think there's some fascist psychology there. Anyway, no dangling earrings was to be the, the rule. Um, I don't know. I don't know whether that makes... Uh, any psychological sense to some of you. Uh, I spent most of this week writing down adjectives to put together with rape. I thought of all the high school teachers trying to explain some of this language to their children. Yesterday was the first day of my grandson's last year in high school. I haven't talked to him. I want to call him on the phone and ask him, what he thinks of all this linguistic, um, oh, nonsense, I guess I'd call it. I I thought of sending him the book Against Our Will by Susan Brownmiller. Then I thought, no 16-year-old boy wants to read that nonsense. Uh, at the same time, I know he must have an opinion. Uh, uh, <laughs> yes, as Joycelyn Elder's. Uh, our once Surgeon General pointed out, we have tried ignorance. Perhaps it's time we tried education. <laughs> I still think that politics is numbers. You know, uh, the critical mass of people come to believe something and then we get a shift in the, in the thinking of the masses. Uh, 
course, if it were true, if it were really true that politics is numbers, well, women would rule the world, yes? <laughs> I read a piece the other day that said women used to have influence. Then they decided they wanted power. They made a mistake. They should have settled for influence. <laughs> I, I just find myself wringing my hands. Uh, I like to use the word otherism these days. I think it's, it's safer. The minute we use the issues of gender or sexual politics, we get down to the battle of the sexes. And that is not where it's at. The battle, of course, is uh, between the feminine principle and the masculine principle. You know, uh, feminist six, fascist nine. <laughs> I see... I see the way we use our fears and, what is it, denial to manipulate the scene. I'm afraid that women are almost, not, not nearly, maybe not quite as ignorant as men, but women, too, find themselves uh, behind the eight ball. They, they try as hard as they can, uh, but I do think maybe it's time for them to fight a little harder to be a little bit more, can I use the word, masculine? The woman warrior, yes, needs to come to the front lines. Uh, I remember uh, reading that we got the vote back before World War I and that that changed everything. Uh-huh. <laughs> I think one of the assumptions was that when women began to vote, we would have no wars. So, of course, women got the vote and promptly voted for Republicans. Uh, <laughs> I guess, I guess, well, what I read told me that women were most interested in security, in protection, and that uh, they thought that a Republican administration was safer. You remember that nonsense. I love the word cockistocracy. It's a word used to uh, to define the rule of a country by its worst citizens. That, I think, is the word that I will cherish. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I don't want to get into the discussion of abortion, which is the real discussion for this week. Uh, I was thinking... Uh, I, I will wait and see what the Republicans have to say. I think they're going to try to skirt the issue. Uh, uh, they're running out of soul plasma, those people. Uh, I don't think, yes, I don't think we're going to get any answers. Not this week, and certainly not next week. Uh, I don't think the Democratic Convention is going to be much more cheerful, but I hope so. Let us hope so. Uh, I hope we can trust the Democrats to be at least not as foolish. Uh, I used to be such a smart aleck. I used to say that the Democrats presented a stay of execution and the Republicans were a license to kill. But I don't think that that's all that funny anymore. This week I made a final effort to synthesize my forever fragmenting thoughts. Uh, I thought we, we might be able to get some help from the media. Maybe the media 
is trying to clean up its act. I drove over to Muir Woods with an old friend. Muir Woods is a grove of famous redwood trees. It resembles a cathedral. I thought, I'll go back to my church. I'll go back to nature. I'll put aside all my petty concerns, my hope for a brave new world in which we stop watching that big brother, start using television, start using screen, the film, <clears throat> to enlighten one another. You remember Gore Vidal and uh, Orson Welles told us we could enlighten the world, we could bring light, bring light into our consciousness with the movies. My friend <clears throat> said I was always talking about progress. What a bore. Progress is an illusion. And I said, well, I, I'm a victim of a liberal education. I wandered off and I sat down next to one of the largest redwoods. They're all uh, burnt and scarred, some of them there in Muir Woods. Well, I said to the redwood tree, and where were you when they crucified our Lord? Right here, said the tree. A tree is a cool medium, if you think about it. Right, you remember when uh, Archibald uh, McLuhan, right, he said that uh, TV was a cool medium. <laughs> I disagree. There's a circle of young redwood trees over in your woods. It surrounds a charred fragment of a dead parent tree, and there's a plaque there that reads, Death and Regeneration. <laughs> An old man with a camera drags his wife over to look at it. He pats his wife on the back, and he says, There, you see? There's the mother tree all burnt out to give life to her offspring, to her sprouts, to the next generation. His wife glares at him. A group of kids come down the path singing 98 bottles of beer on the wall. What a terrible waste of alcohol. Another old man stares at a thick sequoia. He turns to his buddy. And he says, that's one big sumbitch. Obviously, he identifies with the great tree. His buddy agrees, saying, you could build a garage with that one, maybe two garages. Two elderly, ecological, uh, well, new age types glare and whisper to each other, murderer. The trees just reach higher for the light. So much light, yes, in the forest. I wish there were that much in town, or at least at the Republican convention. There's a plaque in front of the tallest redwood. It states that here in the forest, yes, there's always a competition for light. Fiercely, fiercely reaching for the Food, food, chlorophyll of consciousness. That's enlightenment, right? Don't kid yourself, says the tree. 
consciousness. That's only an adaptation of that central nervous system you're always blathering about. You've got a central nervous system because you have to run around and grub for your food. I don't need one because I sit still and everything I need comes to me. I'm cool. Even when they try to burn me, I haven't got enough pitch to ignite. Looking at that tree, I remember why I chose the name Stone after my visit to the petrified forest. I stare at the scarred, burnt heartwood of the ancient tree. There's a bat-black mark left by a medieval forest fire. Or was it maybe a bonfire made by the uh, Native Americans? Bonfire is a word that means a fire for burning bones. Right, bonefire. Well, it's for sure the tree isn't telling who burned it, when or why, like television. It doesn't tell you a damn thing. It just is. The Latin word of the word truth is tree. Or is it the other way around? The soul is in the stone. Or is it the other way around? Whatever it is, it's bigger than we are, folks, or any way older. Carved on one of the wooden benches here in Muir Woods is a phrase signed with the name of the Greek historian Thucydides. He was a media man. He lived back in the 5th century BCE, that is, before the Common Era. People still say B.C. before Christ. If you want to be uh, up to date, you say B.C.E. or before the Common Era. That was just about the time the oldest of these redwoods was sprouting back then in the 5th century B.C. Mm-hmm. Okay, the phrase on the bench reads like a bumper sticker or a button. Theocydides wrote, a wreck at sea can ruin your entire day. I will repeat that. <laughs> the 5th century BCE historian Thucydides wrote, a wreck at sea can ruin your entire day. With my ephemeral little marking pen, I add the lines, quote, but only if you watch the six o'clock news, unquote. <laughs> yes. And if I listen to the uh, media reports on the Republican convention, it will ruin my entire day, perhaps my entire week. Oh, my God. <laughs> I haven't time to get started on the abortion issue. Uh, last week I ended with the phrase, opinion is the death of knowledge. I have too many opinions about abortion, and I won't bore you with them now. I used to wear a button that said, uh, if you don't believe in abortion, 
don't have one. And I got all kinds of flack. Apparently, I hadn't made myself clear. I was trying to say that I thought uh, the issue was about freedom, about choice. That doesn't seem to get through to too many people. Uh, I'm not sure why. Uh, I uh, never had the occasion to need an abortion. I had a uh, hysterectomy at the age of 27. I was very ill as a young woman. Uh, anyway, I'll save that issue for next week. Uh, when the Democrats are up there behind the eight ball. This has been Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw. Until next Tuesday at three o'clock, go easy. And if you can't go easy, go as easy as you can. So divide up those in darkness from the ones who... On Saturday, September 29th, Harmony Fusion, a women's course specializing in the art form of barbershop harmony, will present Return to Vaudeville, a variety show set in the heyday of the 1900s through the 1920s. The audience will enjoy performances of Me and My Shadow, Take Me Out to the Ball Game, as well as many other songs, juggling, comedy, and the Who's on First Routine, made popular by Abbott and Costello. Guest performers include Daniel Da Vinci, the juggling genius, barbershop performances by Harmony Fusion Chorus, as well as men and women's quartets and double quartets. This event is a benefit for Harmony Fusion Chorus. You are invited to purchase tickets through Danville Village Theater at villagetheatershows.com or call 925-314-3400.